This is the Amnesty International podcast, where we try to give you a flavour of what's been going on in the fight against human rights violations worldwide. But first, listen to this. We'll be hearing from some Cubans on exactly how hard it is to express yourself in Cuba today. Afterwards, John Dalhousen sets the record straight on proposals from France on banning the burqa. The key issue here is one of, of choice. The, the freedom of, of individuals to decide what and what not to wear. And lastly, we're going to finish up with some chilling accounts from a Gambian prison. But now, Amnesty in the News. The Sudanese National Intelligence and Security Services, NISS, is carrying out a brutal campaign of arbitrary detentions, torture and mental and physical intimidation against opponents and critics of the government. Amnesty International's new report documents institutionalised human rights violations which have been perpetrated for years by the NISS in Sudan. Amputation and other major surgeries carried out without anaesthesia are just one indication of the dire state of North Korea's health system. Our new report, The Crumbling State of Healthcare in North Korea, draws on interviews with North Koreans and health workers to paint a picture of barely functioning hospitals void of medicines and epidemics brought on by malnutrition. Germany's failure to thoroughly investigate claims of police ill-treatment and the use of excessive force has denied justice for victims of abuse. Amnesty International issued a report which details three deaths and 12 cases of serious injury following police action, but has believed that there could be many more. Amnesty International urged the Iranian authorities to not execute by any method a 43-year-old woman convicted of adultery following an official statement that she would not be executed by stoning. Policeman overhears you talking, they can take you to the police station. Or if your boss overhears you at work, he can reprimand you. At university, they can even expel you in the worst cases. These musicians from punk band Porn Para Ricardo have a daily struggle to play their music. In Cuba today, there exists a fear born from decades of repressive laws and practices that limit freedom of expression. Young people are striving to find new ways of sharing information and expressing themselves, but they're harassed and even risk ending up behind bars. Bands critical of the government are not allowed to play in public. Blogs not in line with the official ideology are censored. The very practice of journalism is restricted, and at least 53 prisoners of conscience remain in Cuba's jails. The restrictions to freedom of expression in my island consist fundamentally in the penalisation brought by thinking freedom. I'm talking about punishment such as social stigmatisation, the impossibility to find a better job, to study at university, and up to repression and even imprisonment. 
Ioani Sanchez is an internationally renowned blogger who manages to publish her work in 17 languages despite the risks involved. In Cuba, of the 723 publications, 88 radio stations, 21 TV stations, all are financed and controlled by the government. This strict control of the media means that Cubans cannot enjoy the freedoms people take for granted in other countries. My blog was blocked with an electronic filter so that my compatriots could not read inside Cuba. This is not only a violation of my rights of expression but also a violation of the rights of my fellow citizens to hear other types of opinions. Charges such as social dangerousness, insulting national symbols and enemy propaganda are so vague that almost any form of public expression can be interpreted as a criminal act. The whole criminal process was fabricated by the state that did not comply with the minimum guarantees of a fair trial. Former prisoner of conscience Darcy Ferrer found himself in jail without a trial for almost a year after trying to organize a demonstration for a better Cuba without repression. I do not accept any sentence as I did not commit any crimes. The morning I left the cell, I could hear the shouting from the other prisoners. They were singing, freedom, freedom, justice, freedom, freedom. The Cuban authorities are using the US embargo as a way to justify the restrictions on freedom of expression. But no matter how unjust the embargo, Amnesty International believes the Cuban government needs to stop using excuses and find solutions to end human rights violations. It's time to change the record. Nowadays, we are all victims, communists or not communists, religious or non-religious. It's time to find solutions for these people so they can live with freedom, democracy, rights and the chance of progress. Hi, this is Amy Agnew. I'm the campaigner for East Africa. I'm phone blogging from Kabete NITD, which is an informal settlement in Nairobi in Kenya. And I'm here on mission as part of the Demand Dignity campaign. Um, there have been some false evictions here on Saturday night. There was a bulldozer that came in exactly where I'm standing and flattened about 470 market stalls and about 200 structures where, where about 500 people at least were living. The market has sprung, sprung up and people are trading right now from the rubble of, uh, where they, from the rubble of their stools and back over on the other side where the people lived. They, we saw them last night sleeping out in the open. They've been given no alternative accommodation. They were given no notice before the eviction. Um, we're just about to sit down with some of the affected people and uh, we'll continue to update the information that we're getting. So this is Amy from Nairobi in Kenya. Thanks a lot for listening to this audio blog. Bye. Amnesty International condemned an overwhelming vote by the lower house of the French parliament to ban the wearing of full face veils in public. 336 parliamentarians voted for the measure with only one opposing it. We asked John Dalhousen, 
Amnesty International's expert on discrimination in Europe, how the proposed ban will take effect. For, for Amnesty International, the key issue here is one of, of choice. The, the freedom of, of individuals decide what and what not to wear. And the role of the state in this context is to safeguard that freedom and, and, and the ability to arrive at independent, autonomous choices. These are issues that go to the core of, of individual freedoms and, and individual identity. Uh, and these are issues that Amnesty International is, is entirely committed to. Many in France have opposed the wearing of full-faced veils on the grounds that it's uh, incompatible or with or contrary to French Republican values, the values of equality, um, fraternity, liberty, um, and that it's, it's anathema to the French way of doing things. Um, many find, obviously, full-faced veils objectionable or, or, or offensive or makes them feel uncomfortable. Um, Amnesty International's view on this, and this is the, a view that follows from, from established human rights standards, is that it's not because you find something objectionable or offensive that you can, that you can ban it. Um, the, the issue here is one of the freedom of, of expression, freedom of religion, uh, and, and that needs to be respected, even if how these rights are used, the form of expression that results, is one that people are, are uncomfortable with. On the security point, the law in, in most European countries already amply provides for the kind of powers that the police or other public servants would need to identify people and for restrictions in certain high-risk locations. So there's absolutely no need for the kind of comprehensive ban that's being introduced now in, in France and in Belgium. Gambia celebrated its national holiday named Freedom Day by President Yahya Jame. However, since gaining power through a coup in 1994, President Yahya Jame's government has cracked down on political freedom. Gambians are arrested unlawfully, tortured, raped, given unfair trials or executed outside of the legal system. Former member of Gambian Parliament Demba Dem and Gambian journalist Sarata Jabi Dibba talk about their experiences of prison in the country. I was arrested on the 26th of March 2006 in connection of an allegation of coup plot. There was a coup organized by the soldiers, so I was accused of being involved in that coup. That led to my arrest. I was brought at the prison and not told why I was taken to prison. I was not told why I am arrested and I was just taken to the prison and thrown at the maximum security wing. The cell is so dark. It's an empty floor, no mosquito net, nothing. And I was there with naked for three days at the cell. Yeah. Some of the prisoners, they will use acid on them. They will save you until your hair is clear. Then they pour, they, they, will, they, will, they will put a fire on a plastic bag, then start dropping it on your head, at the right bottom of your head. There, they will drop it there. Some of them, they will tie your hands and your legs. They will make a boil. They will boil a, a, a metal until it is red hot. Then they broke. They bring it next to your nose, and they will not remove it. It will be so hot on you. You must confess. Sometimes they will open your anus, your private part, and put acid inside. All those are form of torturing that they were doing. If they want to clear with you, there is a poison they are using at the prison to kill some prisoners in the prison. This barrack battery we call barrack batteries. The powder inside, that black powder that they will use and put in your food when they are distributing the prison food. There, when they put it on your plates, you eat it, 
The next day you complain of stomach ache. The following day or night you will die. So they will rush you to the hospital and say you died because of severe malaria. After signing a press release criticising the president, Sarata was convicted and sentenced to two years at Gambia's notorious Mile 2 state prison with her baby. In the constitution, it is stated that I can, I, they can wait for me like to suspend the sentence till when, after I stop breastfeeding my baby, then I can go and serve the sentence. But the judge doesn't agree with my lawyer. They just have to take me to jail with the baby. But going to jail is nothing to me. The only thing I feel about it is about my baby being taken to jail. Yeah. When they brought the food to me, for me to eat, I can't eat because when eating the food, you just see some flies inside the food. You have to take the flies out to eat the, uh, the food. So if you are not used to it, you cannot take that food. And we all know that as a breastfeeding mother, if you don't get something to eat, you can't have anything in your breast. So it was so terrible for I and my baby. After three days in terrible conditions, social services took Sarata's son and put him in a state orphanage. I really miss him, I really miss him, because whenever I go to bed, I don't sleep. If it happens to others, like who are not journalists, it's very, it's very difficult for them to get out from that uh, mess. Like in Mile 2, if you go there, you'll find a lot of people there who have spent there more than 10 years, and they have not even been taken to court. They've just been packed at remand like that. Sarata was granted asylum in the UK, but is still waiting to be reunited with her children who are now with family in Gambia. We've come to the end of this month's podcast, but if you want to find out more, log on to amnesty.org, which is updated daily with international human rights news from around the world. <laughs>